Thank you. Well, it's a great delight to be back here, back home in, in many ways, and to see some familiar faces and new ones as, as well. Um, and I've been given a fantastic passage to, to preach on, and I have to say, I've been, um, I, I mean, it's a fairly familiar passage. It's part of uh, what's called Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and yet, I've been puzzling over it uh, for uh, many days as I've been uh, studying uh, for th this lunchtime. And particularly puzzling over verse 25. If you can, um, if you've got a Bible open, page 971, do turn to uh, Matthew 6, verse 25. Jesus, these are the words of Jesus himself. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Do not worry. Now, at first glance, and the reason I've been puzzling over this, at first glance, it seems un, sort of unsurprising uh, and quite underwhelming as, as well as, um, as a phrase. You know, it's quite a common phrase, isn't it? Uh, do not worry. Uh, I was brought up with dire straits. Do you know that word? Why worry? There's always sunshine after rain. There's always something after pain. Um, uh, uh, why worry now? Or Bob Marley, don't worry about a thing. I'm not going to sing that. Or Disney's Hakuna Matata, uh, worry-free philosophy. And there are also some hold-on moments when Jesus says that, why worry? There's a sort of, hold on, Jesus. Do you, do you really mean that? There's a sort of uh, a biblical textual objection uh, that there are actually things to worry about, and Jesus uh, admits that. So even in the text itself, verse 34, he says, uh, don't, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, i.e. there are worries uh, tomorrow. So why worry? Well, tomorrow, Jesus, uh, would be one answer. There's also a Bible historical ob objection. The Apostle Paul, when he writes letters to the churches, he worries about them. You know, he's concerned, uh, for example, the church in Thessalonica. He says, I was, um, I was so concerned that you were still going on in your faith. And I was so delighted, therefore, uh, to hear news of, of your faith uh, being, being built. There's also a, a, a theological objection. Uh, and that is, if you don't worry about anything, you basically won't do anything. Um, you know, it's a sort of practical theology of work. Uh, that work, we, we work because we, we worry about things. We want things to be better. Uh, we're concerned. Um, it, it fuels uh, business in, in many ways. There's also a, a spiritual objection. Um, Satan uh, provides many things uh, for us to worry about. His, his prowling nature is to destroy, to disable, to divide and to create chaos and, and worry, like the, the Dark Knight uh, trilogy and uh, that the Joker's whole uh, ambition is just to, to create worry, to create stress and, and chaos. And then there's the practical uh, ob objection, and that is that the prevalence of mental illness, uh, of stress and anxiety in, in the church, in Christian leaders, uh, as well as in every aspect of life, uh, that, as we well know, that prevalence is, um, is increasing uh, many-fold many at, at the moment. So what is Jesus talking about? That's my, my question as, as we begin looking at the, this, this passage. The definition of, of worry is to feel anxious or troubled about actual or potential problems. 
12 signs of worry, excessive concern over everyday things, sleep problems, irrational fears, muscle tension, chronic indigestion, stage fright, self-consciousness, panic attacks, flashbacks, perfectionism, compulsive behavior, self-doubt. Now, as I read that list quite quickly, I wonder uh, which ones you resonated with. Quite a few, if, if I was uh, honest uh, with, with myself. This is a, a live uh, issue and uh, a real problem in our culture. So let's read it again. Does Jesus really say, don't worry about a thing? Just uh, sing a little song and it'll be all right. No. He doesn't actually say, don't worry, uh, full stop. W what does he say? Let's look uh, uh, again. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry. And the key word there is therefore. He he's not uh, starting from scratch here, is he? He's saying, therefore, in the light of everything I've just said, do not worry. Not do not worry. Uh, he, he says the, the same again uh, in verse 31. Let's look at verse 31. Um, so, do not worry. In other words, because I've just said uh, that uh, God will provide, your heavenly Father will provide for you, so, in light of that, do not worry. And likewise, verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, because... Uh, these things will be given to, to you. God knows what you need and will provide for you what you, you need. Jesus isn't just some self-help guru who says some trite um, little statements that uh, sound good on a tweet or, or whatever. No, Jesus is the Lord of life. He's the resurrection and the life. And therefore, when he says here, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, this is the Lord of life saying that. This is, I've got it. You know, I'm in control. I'm the resurrection and, and, the, and the, the, the life. The Lord himself uh, giving these principles. So what is the therefore? That's uh, the question I thought would be interesting to look at at uh, lunchtime. What is the therefore in verse 25 that leads him to say, do not worry? Well, in the preceding verses, 19 to 24, he gives three principles and he gives three principles by giving three contrasts of, of things uh, that uh, uh, form his teaching. So the first principle is store up treasure that lasts eternally. The way to not worry is to store up treasure that lasts eternally. In verses 19 to 21, Jesus teaches us that worry, what we worry about, depends on the treasure that we seek. The contrast here is between storing up treasure on earth or storing up treasure in heaven. He says, whichever you store will completely change your level of worry on this, this earth. Treasure on earth is a source of worry, he says. And he, he explains here, because moth and vermin will uh, destroy, rust uh, will destroy, market devaluation, uh, will destroy, HMRC will, will take away, all sorts of reasons uh, for, for us to, to, to worry uh, from this earth because this, this earth ultimately uh, will, will be destroyed. If this earth is the only earth that there is, then there is no 
ultimate eternity. There is no ultimate purpose. Everything is finite and uh, just for today. And one of my favorite uh, books of the Bible on this is Ecclesiastes, a fantastic uh, book, which plays that what-if game. It says, what if the only world there is is the world under the sun? There's no God above, no heavens above, no hell below, as Lennon used to sing, just this earth and this present day. But the writer tries, therefore, he tries uh, testing various different things that he can store up on this earth. And he says, all of them lead to worry. All of them lead uh, to futility, meaningless, meaningless, he keeps on saying, as he tests out all these things that you can, can store. Treasure on earth leads to, to temporary anxiety and no lasting value. Ha however, treasure in heaven, the Bible says, is lasting. It's a lasting inheritance. So uh, the, um, the Apostle Peter, in his uh, first letter uh, to the churches, he says that uh, the treasure in heaven is an inheritance for God's people that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The remarkable truth of the Bible is that it says we can contribute to that treasure. It's not just um, there's a sort of pie in the sky when you die somehow. No, the Bible keeps on saying we are investors who invest treasure that is laid up in the bank vaults of heaven for us to enjoy in all eternity. Treasure in heaven is in reconciliation, people being reconciled to, to God. Uh, Hebrews talks about how Jesus goes to the cross with the joy set before him. And what is that joy uh, set before him? It's not the cross itself. It's what the cross does. It's the fact that the cross reconciles people to God. It raises people back into God's sight as his eternal, part of his eternal family. And Jesus will go to the cross investing his whole life, giving his whole life to generate that treasure, that joy of people reconciled to, to, to God. We can be laying up that, that treasure. There's treasure in heaven in, in the people that we build up, the people that we, we love and, and care for, people we're mentoring at, at work, uh, all sorts of relationships where uh, we're investing in, in people. Paul, uh, again, in, in his uh, letter to the Thessalonians, where he worries about them, he, he says, you are my crown and joy. That's why I worry. Because my, my whole crown, my whole delight is the fact that you're brought into God's sight and that you're, you're walking uh, with, with the, the Lord. Jesus in Luke's, uh, Luke 16 talks about how we should be investing in friends that will welcome us into heavenly dwellings. So yeah, invest on this earth, lay up treasure on this earth, but treasure that will last for eternity and treasure of being involved in God's redemptive purposes. Again, all sorts of ways through our work, we are bringing redemption, bringing uh, order out of chaos, as I said at the beginning. In my research, I've been looking at how the mandate to people in Genesis is to go and be fruitful and multiply. That's treasure building. Being, uh, Jesus talks about it here uh, in verse 33. He says, Bring in God's kingdom and righteousness, right living, right ways. 
that is all part of our treasure uh, building. And how does storing up treasure uh, that lasts eternally help us say, therefore, do not worry? Well, three really quick reasons. First of all, because we can know the treasure we generate is going to continue to have impact, and nothing on this earth can take that, that away. We only lose what we cannot keep. What we gain in terms of this treasure, we, we cannot lose. It is for eternity. So there's, there's a great joy in that, a great security that I'm doing something uh, by talking to Tony, having lunch with Tony, and building him up and him building me up. We are creating treasure that nothing can, can destroy ever for eternity. Secondly, uh, because storing up treasure in heaven is heart building, not destroying. Jesus uh, says in verse 21, these um, incredibly important words, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, if our heart is, is absolutely controlled and obsessed by, by building treasure, temporary treasure on this earth, I'm not saying it's wrong to, to have things and to, to have worldly wealth, but if that's our treasure that we hold on to so tightly and our heart is, is so controlled by, then our heart will always be worried. It will never be secure. But if our treasure, our heart, is in God's kingdom building, if that is our desire, our longing, then through what we own, through the relationships we have, through the work that we do, we will not have a heart that is, oh, it's going to be taken away. We'll have a heart that's saying, wow, isn't this a privilege? The privilege of being able to generate, to be able to give to other people. And uh, thirdly, because storing up treasure in heaven is based on God's grace, not our performance. We don't have to worry, well, have I done enough? Is this treasure really treasure? Because um, it's not down to, to us, it's down to God's grace and uh, his unconditional favor. If I put my security in God's grace, then I can come into the treasure chamber of heaven every time I pray. I don't know about you, but I, I love uh, that f phrase in Hebrews about when we pray, we enter the throne room of grace, the treasure, treasury of, of heaven full of grace and abundance and unconditional favor. We can enjoy that and know the security of, of that. So that's the, the first principle, that uh, store up treasure that lasts uh, eternally. Second principle Jesus uh, talks about is see with eyes that delight in the light. He, uh, the contrast here in verses 22 and 23 is between eyes that are healthy and eyes that are unhealthy. And Jesus says, unhealthy eyes grow darkness into our heart. That he says the eyes are like a lamp and uh, it enables us to see things either in the light or to see things with darkness. And what we see is then uh, goes into our, our thinking, into our, our lives and darkens uh, our perspective. Seeing with God's light every day, waking up and starting the day by dwelling on God's light in, in Scripture. 
responding on his good, pleasing, and perfect ways, having that as, as the perspective with which we see completely transforms uh, the actions uh, that we, we take and therefore the delight that we have rather than the, the worry that might con consume us. Um, in my research, I've, um, I've been playing with the, this idea of, of business glaucoma. Um, I don't know if you know much about glaucoma. My, my grandma um, and my mum uh, both had glaucoma, so I have to have a glaucoma test uh, every year. Basically, glaucoma just it narrows your, your vision uh, to just one, one part. And in the glaucoma test, I have to um, look at a screen, and there are dots on the screen. And when I see a dot, I have to press a button. And the first time I did it, and I pressed the button, and I saw the results, and, and the, the dots said, well, there are certain parts that you didn't see. And I said, no, the machine must be broken. Um, you know, it, I, there clearly was not a dot in that space. I, n never a dot in that space. And so we did the test again, and same results. Um, and uh, it, was basically, it was very freaky, really, to, to understand that I wasn't seeing everything. I thought I was. That's the whole point, isn't it? Our brain fills in the, the gaps. And that's the problem. If we're consumed with darkness, then that's what our brain fills in, all the gaps. And uh, we are inhabited by that darkness. The way to, to worry, uh, to a worry-free uh, thinking, is to look up, lift your eyes to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I love that um, example of Nebuchadnezzar, who uh, was so consumed with his pride and his power and his success that he's walking on the roof of his palace and saying, look at me, I'm king of the world, or, or whatever. And uh, then he's struck down by God. He'd been warned by God and is struck down and becomes like an animal. Uh, he starts eating grass and, and uh, has hair all over his, his body. And uh, then, eventually, he looks up. And immediately he looks up to, to God again. He's restored. Uh, restored fully. I think God wants us to, to do that when we're consumed by worry and stress. Jesus is saying, look up. Lift your eyes to Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's a song I learned as a kid. Probably most people have never heard that, that song. But it stuck with me. Look Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. It doesn't mean they'll disappear, but they'll look different. They'll look different in the light of his glory and, and grace. Third principle is serve the God who loves us unconditionally. Jesus makes a contrast between two uh, masters. Uh, he uses the um, Aramaic word, which um, used to be in the Bible translated mammon. It's now uh, in, in this version of the Bible, it's translated money with a capital M, which I always find a bit strange, really. Um, but uh, the, the Aramaic word mammon that Jesus uses is a very deliberate word, um, which means treasure that we lean on to give us significance and our source of meaning and, and uh, comfort. It's treasure that becomes our security. And Jesus is saying that is, is what you start to serve. When something becomes your security, your significance, your salvation, 
and you serve it, but you're not actually serving something that is giving back to you. You're serving something that is actually taking you away. The illustration I uh, like to use is um, imagine you're going rock climbing and uh, you're climbing up a mountain like that or whatever, and you, you get to a stage where you're stuck. You know, you've um, got hand grips there and there and foot grips here and here. Um, so you're, are you secure at that point? You can't go up because there's no more hand grips uh, further up. Um, are you secure? Well, yes and no. Um, we haven't got time to go into this in detail, but uh, uh, yes and no. Yes, you're secure in that um, the, the mountain is holding you, but no, because actually the mountain isn't holding you. It's an illusion, isn't it? You're holding the mountain. The mountain's not going to grab you if you get tired, and eventually you, you, you will. And I think that's often what people are like. They say, I'm, I'm quite safe, thank you very much. And, you know, I can't go any further, but I'm quite safe as, lo as long as the mountain holds me. But it's only gradually people realize, actually, I'm not being held. That these, these um, idols, these things that I have um, put my whole trust in are not holding me back. Then imagine Prince William comes in his rescue helicopter and he comes along and he comes down on a, on a rope and says, hold on to me, you know, come with me if you want to live, as Arnie would say. And, um, and you've got to do something, haven't you? You've got to let go of the mountain and hold on to the prince. And that's, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you can't serve the mountain and the prince. You can't serve mammon and, and God. So choose. Let go of, of serving mammon. Hold on to the savior of the world. Give, let him give you identity, security, unconditional favor that will rescue you, will remove your worry and replace that with his beauty of his love. Jesus, all the way through this passage, is incredibly loving of saying, your father knows you. You're valuable to your father. Listen to that, Jesus is saying, day by day. I'm just going to end with a quote from Andrew Murray. This is uh, referring to, to people who've put their trust in, in the Lord Jesus as Savior. As one of his redeemed ones, you are now his delight. And all his desire is to you with the longing of a love which is stronger than death and which many waters cannot quench. His heart yearns after you, seeing your fellowship and seeking your fellowship and your love. Were it needed, he could die again to possess you. As the Father loved the Son, so Jesus loves you. His life is bound up in yours. You are to him inexpressibly more indispensable and precious than you can ever know. You are one with himself. As the Father hath loved me, so I loved you. What a love. As the song goes, knowing Jesus, there is no greater thing. He is our treasure. And if we know that treasure, it doesn't mean that uh, there are not, not things to worry about. Tomorrow has plenty of worries, Jesus says. But in that worry, we are held, held with this eternal love. Let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you that you are a God who isn't distant and aloof, just uh, leave us, um, but you're a God who 
cares, cares so much that you sent your son to pay for our rescue, to pay for our forgiveness, to bring us from enemies to, to friends, to raise us to your sight. Help us to enjoy this afternoon that storeroom of, of your, your grace. And uh, as we enjoy that storeroom, help us to, to work knowing that we are investing our lives in a way that brings glory to you, investing our lives in bringing reconciliation, in bringing love and compassion, bringing righteousness and your kingdom perspective into our workplaces, into our home lives, into our friends and, and family. Help us to, to be people who store up treasure that lasts eternally and help us to, to know that treasure, to delight in that and to delight in the Lord Jesus now and always, we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Uh, there's a bit more lunch, so do, do grab that and um, yeah, blessings.